Thank you, worship team. Good morning. Good morning. I had a traumatic experience this week. I uh, decided to go get my hair cut. And uh, despite all the, the good advice that I was given, you need to go to the barber, I went to Great Clips, which if you've ever been to Great Clips, you know, they're good people, they're, you know. I sat down and, uh, you know, I'm thinking, okay, we're going get, to uh, get trimmed up here real good. How do you want it? And I said, well, just a little off side, you know, maybe a little off top here. Just kinda... And proceeds to pull out a, like a shear, like you would shear a sheep with. <laughs> and I hear this, I'm like, oh my word, what is going on? And I see all this gray hair falling into my lap, and I'm like, goodness. I get home and I, I'm already like, this doesn't look that great. I, or at least it's not me. And my daughter goes, Dad, you look like a hipster. <laughs> I'm like, she thinks. So, so you have a 48-year-old hipster up here trying to do the thing today. So, holy cow. I used to always go to uh, Gary Pencil and those guys, but you know Gary was always kind of a... He gets kind of cranky, and then the landlord finally upped his uh, rent, and he said, that's it, we're out of here, so they closed up, and I've been looking for a good barber ever since, so. Keep looking. <laughs> Keep looking. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Ouch. All right, that's how we're going to do it today. All right, that's fine. I'm getting real here. Uh, so we've been talking about the, uh, the fundamentals, uh, you know, getting back to the fundamentals of what makes the church of our church so unique and what makes our church, you know, what it is. And, and uh, you know, these fundamentals are, you know, just basic things that I think all of us need from time to time to be reminded about. And uh, I want to talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. When I was a, a kid, I grew up in a... It's hard to really say what kind of a church it was, really. It was a, my, uh, my grandparents were, were pretty much Pentecostal. I mean, I, I don't know how else to explain it. A, you know, shouting, Holy Ghost, believing, you know, that so from when I was real little. And then we ended up in a Methodist church, which is like 180 degrees the other way. So, you know, I had a, a real different upbringing. But I can remember from the time I was a little kid, uh, my grandparents, my grandmother especially, you know, the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, the Holy, the Holy Ghost. You know, when you're like four or five years old, you're like, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. You know, what are we talking about here? Well, of course, you know, in our church, we refer to the, the Holy Ghost as the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. And... Uh, you know, one of the things that I like to do, you know, is, you know, whenever I'm struggling spiritually or whatever, I like to remind myself of the fundamentals and, uh, you know, to keep the main thing the main thing. Sometimes we get all bent out of shape on minutia and things that really don't matter a whole lot, but it's nice to go back and get, get grounded again in the, in the fundamentals. I do this all the time. If I'm feeling uh, upset if I want to get myself motivated to, like, we're going back to school here. Uh, I like to go, I'll visit my parents. 
And I'll spend some time back on the farm and you know, wander around and look at stuff. And there was always something about that going back home that always helps me to feel grounded, you know, get real again. And uh, for me, it was always my, you know, my family, which was, was very paternalistic. My granddad, my grandpa, my, my, my dad, they're man's, man's man, you know, that, that kind of a, of a thing. And I always looked up to the men in our, our family as, uh, oh, they were the ones that, uh, you know, they kept everything going, almost, almost like heroes to me. I remember how I was in awe uh, the night of the Xenia tornado. Those of you who are old enough, you would remember that night. I was about five, four, five maybe. And I remember we were herded down into the basement of my grandparents' house. We lived in a little mobile home. And so the winds are rocking, and those days the old black and white radar, you know, and Gil Whitney's going, you need to get to the basement, you know, we're running for the basement, and so we ran into to my grandparents and down into the basement. And we're all down there huddled. And who's sitting upstairs in the easy chair? Grandpa. And I'm like, why doesn't he come down here? Well, he's, he, he's keeping an eye on things. He's up there shaking his head. We ain't going down in the basement. You know, I want to watch the TV. You know, <laughs> I want to see what I'm just like, wow. He, you know, even the tornadoes can't get Grandpa. He... He's going to fight that tornado. That was awesome. And then later, uh, my grandmother, uh, great-grandmother, she uh, collapsed in the middle of an ice storm. I was going out to get the mail, and she fell and broke her hip. And somehow Grandpa just happened to be, he went down there and found her, and he rescued her. And it was just like, oh, you know, this is amazing to me. Those kind of things uh, really help us to get grounded. And that view of, of, of my father, of my grandpa, my great-grandpa, I mean, I think for all of us, our view of what dad is, is very, you know, it's kind of how, what we get our view of what God is. You know, as I was young and I was thinking about what is God like, and a lot of times, you know, our perceptions of what God is sometimes comes from our perception of our earthly father. So to me, growing up, God was always this mighty, you know, whatever. And uh, it, can get, it can get frustrating looking through the Bible, trying to figure out, you know, what's God like? It's easy to describe what a earthly fathers are like. You know, my grandpa, he's he not afraid of tornadoes and, and this kind of thing. But you look at the Bible and of course, the Bible is written in different languages. The original language was not English. Okay, I used to long ago. I used to work for a Christian bookstore over here called Logos Bookstore. We would about once a month we'd get somebody to come in there. Usually, this little old lady she would come in. She goes, "I want to buy a Bible." <laughs> you know, okay, we'll take her back to the Bibles. Well, now here we've got the, you know, we got NIV. Those are real popular these days, and we got the New American Standard. And she goes, I, you know, what, what are you looking for? Well, the authorized edition. I'm like, okay. Well, I knew what she meant. Like the King James. And I can remember more than once people telling me, if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. You know, okay. I didn't have the heart to tell him Jesus didn't speak the King's English. Okay. 
The Bible was written in, in really three languages. Hebrew, most of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. We're talking about the Jewish people. And then uh, some Greek and some Aramaic, which was a regional language, dialect spoken at that time. And when you want to look at the Bible, when you want to get to the fundamentals of what God is like, okay, you have to kind of look, cut through the, uh, the, the language barrier a little bit. One of the first fundamentals that I want to look at today is our perception of who God is is, is important. Who is God? I mean, we, we, we come here, we sing, we, we do these things which are so important to worship. When you begin to look at the Hebrew language, God is referred to by many different names, many different titles. There isn't just one word for God. In, in English, vocab's kind of limited. We say God, God. Well, what about God? In the Hebrew language, it, it describes God in a lot of different ways. It can get very confusing. And hence, we lose the flavor of the characteristic of God that, that was meant by the, the Hebrew word. So if we go to the next one, one of the most popular names of God in the Old Testament, one of the first uses of the word for God is Elohim. Elohim, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Well, the word Elohim, we translate it as God. But really, it, it implies a lot more than just God, Elohim, the all-powerful one, the one who can bring the universe into existence. God said, let there be light. The word there for God was Elohim, the powerful one, the strong one. Tomorrow, when the eclipse hits, a lot of us will be like, wow, this is, you know, what a God. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, the heavens declare thy glory. You see that eclipse come, when we, when we refer to God, we're probably going to be thinking about, wow, there's a lot of power there. Those eclipses are going to line up, and we're going to see the universe in all its glory, and God, the all-powerful one, Elohim. But there are lots of other names for God as well. You ever read through the Bible, and it talks about Lord Lord this, Lord that. A lot of times the word in, in Hebrew is, is really these, these letters. The Hebrews often will not even speak the name, so we're really not even 100% sure how the word's even pronounced. We call it Yahweh. Okay? And um, some people, uh, a, a transliteration of that, Jehovah, the, the name of God. You know, God, does he have a real name? Yeah, Yahweh. Um, but it means Lord, and the Lord, that's different than this all-powerful creator. Another word that we use, Adonai, Adonai, which means the sovereign one, the king. Oh, hail the king, mighty majesty. The word for God there would be Adonai. Another word that we would use, El Shaddai, which means Lord God Almighty. So all throughout the Old Testament, when they would write what we would translate into God, I mean, there were lots of different names and titles. and So you can see why it gets very confusing sometimes about, you know, when we talk about God, well, 
what are we what are we saying about God? Even the New Testament's not uh, silent about it. If you look into the Aramaic, into the Greek, a lot of times the word for God or Lord or Master, or excuse me, Father, would be translated Abba. I know Kyle, one of his favorite things, he, you know, he liked to refer to God as his daddy, heavenly daddy, which infers a, a special type of relationship. Now, some of us, we had fathers, some of you had daddies. I, mean, I think there's, you know what I'm getting at, a little bit of a difference there. One of the most famous words here, the, the idea of Abba, in Aramaic, the original language that was used in that region of Israel during the time of Christ, it's a very intimate word for father. In fact, father doesn't even really capture it. In fact, the word Abba really indicates some of the very first syllables that a baby might pronounce in reference to his father. In English, what are the first syllables children might use for their father? Little babies go, Dada, <laughs> Dada. The very first, that's what it refers to. Or heavenly, Dada. Now, some people, there's some controversy over that word. Some people say, look, Abba, was a, uh, that's a special relationship between Jesus and his heavenly father. He could call him Dada. Now, I don't know if we could get away with that, but, uh, but I think the, uh, the illustration works. God wants a special relationship for us, and we refer to him as our daddy. Now, the point of all this is that the idea of God can be very confusing for us today because of the limitations of our English language. We do this all the time. The word love, for example. We use the word love in a lot of different ways. I mean, I, I love my wife, but I love pizza, too. You know, hopefully it's different there, you know, but we, we use the same word, love, there. We do the same thing with God. So it's important... Church of God of the Abrahamic faith feels it is very important that we understand who God is, that what God really is. And since we are of the, we're Christian, we're Christians, of the little uh, nickname for us of our little group, the, of the Abrahamic faith. And since we are, we kind of wrap ourselves up with Abraham and the promises of Abraham, there's a very important piece of scripture that I would like for us to, to read together. If we go to the next slide here. Now, I realize we're not Jews. I don't think there are very many uh, Hebrews here. All right. So let me read, to, read it to you once, the way that I kind of see it. Shema Israel, Adonai Elohanu, Adonai Ehad. Okay. Let's try that. You, you thought the way we butchered the Lord's Prayer was bad. Where do we get to? Let's start here. Shema Israel, Adonai Elohanu, Adonai Ahad. Does anybody, do we have any Hebrew scholars here who could tell us what the Shema is? I know some of you know, you're just too bashful to... 
Well, let's go to the next slide. You probably have heard of this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hebrews or, or Jews today, they say this. Uh, it's referred to as the Shema. And it's a centerpiece of the morning and the evening Jewish prayer services. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is three. No, no the Lord is one. There is one God, and in a, the culture that they lived in, which was a polytheistic culture, you had many gods. The Romans had lots of gods, Saturn and Jupiter, and you know, the Greeks had plenty of gods. And The Hebrews come along with a very different way of looking. Uh, there is one God. Is believing in the truth of one God, does that make you weird, strange? I mean, I've had people say, what do you do with this one God stuff? It's not what the Bible teaches. I think that is what the Bible teaches. You go back to the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. When I pray, when I worship, I'm worshiping God alone. Let's go to the next slide. Here are some famous Unitarians in history. What's a Unitarian? Well, you believe that there's one God. People like John Quincy Adams, P.T. Barnum, you know, the circus guy, you know, he was a Unitarian. <laughs> Probably the most famous on the list, Char uh, Thomas Jefferson. Of course, Thomas Jefferson, he, he really went crazy with some of the ideas of the Bible. That's a whole different story. Christopher Reeve, Superman. I mean, if Superman believes in the unity of God, I mean, what else can you ask for? Superman. <laughs> Rod Serling. Does anybody know who Rod Serling is? You young kids wouldn't know, but <laughs> sometimes I feel like I'm Rod Serling up here. I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> Welcome to the church in <laughs> spring. Uh, oh, Jesus. That's a pretty uh, famous guy. Every Jew who ever lived... Oh, you can, you can put yourself up there, probably. Add yourself to the list. The Bible teaches the truth of one God. Let's go to the next slide. What about Jesus? Our perception of who Jesus is is important as well. The Abrahamic faith, we make a special distinction of who Jesus is. The Bible is very clear that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, we had God, and now we have his, his son. Let's move on. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 1. I know it ticks some people off. I don't put the scriptures up here. but We had to go to the Bratwurst Festival yesterday. I didn't have time when I, when I got home. So we was eating Bratwurst and bourbon chicken. So Okay. Uh, Let's go to Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. You've all heard this story. This is Jesus' birth foretold. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. 
But she was very perplexed at the statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. In actuality, she's probably scared to death. I mean, I would be frightened. The angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him, Jesus, the throne of his father David. He, Jesus, will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Talked about the kingdom last week. Mary said, of course, how can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said, look, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. There is nothing strange or weird about that statement. That is what the scriptures teach. Jesus is the Son of God, the very Son of God. The Bible, in other uh, verses, makes this this clear. At At his birth, as we've talked about, at his baptism... We jump ahead to Luke chapter 4. See if anybody can beat me here. Chapter 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. That one God that we talked about, God in heaven, Jesus, my son. In you I am well pleased. At the baptism, uh, on the cross, Jesus cried out upon the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He called out to his God. That's our God. Again, um, moving ahead, at the resurrection, John chapter 20, and when uh, I believe it was Mary Magdalene saw Jesus, she was shocked. And of course she was, you know, rabbi, teacher, oh, I can't, it's you, you're alive. And Jesus said to her, verse 17, chapter 20, verse 17, stop clinging to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. We teach the unity of of God. That God, and again, there are many words, titles, things for God, but there's one being, God. Even Jesus refers to God as his God, his Father. Let's move on. One more, another fundamental here. When I was a kid and I told you Grandma was like, and the Holy Ghost, you know, okay. When I thought of ghosts, I thought it like this. You got this holy spook going around, you know, peeking in, you know. What's going on here, this, this ghost thing? And it wasn't until I was later that I began to realize 
the Bible doesn't really teach the idea of a ghost, you know, this spooky, ethereal being that, that you know, moves around and works real mysteriously. As I began to study the Bible, I began to realize the Holy Spirit was simply the power of God. His power, alive and active in the world today. It's His power, it's His strength. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. In other words, you know, it's through my holy power. Not your weak, piddly human power, but this is how things get done. Now, the word spirit, if we move on here, uh, the, the Greek word for this is pneuma. Seth has preached on this. Others have preached on this over the years. We still use the word pneuma in certain ways. Pneumatic, pneumatic tire, pneumatic you know, machines. and Pneumonia, if you've ever been cursed with that nastiness. We know what pneumonia means. Breath, uh, you know, breathing. The Greek word that is used to refer to the Holy Spirit is the word pneuma, which means air or wind or power, animation, movement, manifestation of power. Okay, if I knock, did a who and knocked Brian's drums over, he'd get mad at me. But that, the, the falling over, that's the... The, the pneuma. Uh, the spirit is described in a lot of different ways in the Bible. Not just a ghost. I was a kid. Oh, the Holy Ghost. Well, the Holy Spirit is referred to as a dove, like a dove. Maybe not an actual bird, but the Bible says it descended like a dove. Fire. The disciples, when they were received the Holy Spirit, it was like tongues of fire coming down. Uh, it refers to it as oil. It refers to the Holy Spirit as like water, wind. Lots of different words to illustrate what the Spirit is like. Motion, things in motion, power, movement. So who really cares? Move ahead here. I mean, this has been a wonderful academic lecture I've just given you all today. You know, hopefully you learned something. But who cares? I mean, I come to church because I'm with other people that love Jesus. I, uh, we have uh, dinner out here today, you know, and I love being with God's people. And But, you know, this Bible stuff kind of, you know, it's nice and all, but does it really do anything for me? It's all interesting, but what does it matter if there's only one God who worked through His holy power to accomplish His mission in the world? His mission, of course, was to offer His only begotten Son as the Messiah, as, as the Savior of the world. Let's move ahead. It's pretty simple, actually, why it matters. My little cartoon here, I hope you can see it. I wish I would have blown it up a little bit. But over here on the left-hand side is, that's us. Of course, this is the, the bridge illustration of salvation. But that's us over here on the left. We're standing there looking across this gap. We can't get across. God, of course, is on the other side. And the thing that separates us 
is sin. God is a holy being, a holy God. He cannot stand sin. And unfortunately, people were born into sin. We are sinners. That leaves a gap between us and God. And there's only one way to get to God, and that would be if there was a bridge, a way to, to make a way from us to God. And of course, that was the sacrifice of, of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Christ became that bridge for us to make our way to God. For us to be able to say like we did in our Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. For us to get to the Father in heaven, we have to go through Jesus. When you begin to understand what the fundamentals are, who God is, who Jesus is, who, what the Holy Spirit is, the plan of salvation begins to make sense. It begins to take on a real meaning. Next slide. Ah, oh, what a wonderful family. My poor kids, they're like, oh my God, what's dad doing? Don't put that up there. What finally won me over to the Unitarian way of thinking about, you know, there's one God and his son Jesus, and, the, the power, and they accomplished the mission through the, the Holy Spirit. What finally won me over to that was developing an understanding of the power between a parent and their children. Before I had kids, my perception of what you know, God and his son Jesus were, the only thing I could relate it to was my relationship with my own father, who's an incredible man. But growing up, he was a very quiet man, a very reserved man, a very hardworking man. Our relationship... Uh, amounted to about, you know, how you doing? I'm pretty good. Have a good day? Yeah. That was it, <laughs> you know? So my perception of, of, of being the son of the father was, you know, kind of a weird... So it was hard for me to understand, you know, what's God really like? It's kind of a mystery. But I became a, a father myself, and I began to understand this dynamic between a father and his children. Those of you who have been blessed with children, understand that, that special relationship between you and your child. Could you sacrifice one of your own to save someone else? I don't think I could. Uh, myself, I might lay my life down for any one of you. If there was a, something happened and well, that's... That, Speaker was going to fall down on Reese, and I saw I may run and knock you out of the way, Reese. I get mushed. Why? Because I don't want him to get hurt. You know, a lot of us would be willing to do that, to, to give ourselves, to sacrifice ourselves for a brother or a sister in Christ. But to ask me to, to give my son, my daughter, I couldn't do that. I love you. I couldn't do that. God could do that. God, our Father, could give His only Son to save us 
That's why it's important to understand who God is, who Jesus is. We go to the next slide. One of my favorite Old Testament stories. God asks Abraham, you're going to make a sacrifice. And what I want you to do is to go build the altar, and you're going to sacrifice your son, Isaac, on that altar. Now, Abraham had more guts than I did, more faith maybe, more devotion. And he was prepared to sacrifice his son on the altar. They put him up there, they tied him down, was ready to light the fire or to stab him and, and to kill his son. And the angel came and said, hold your hand. No, 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 don't do that. We can't ask a mortal man to to give up his son. God will provide the lamb. And of course, that's when the the ram was caught in the, the, the bushes and God provided the sacrifice. God didn't ask Abraham to crawl up on that altar and to lay down his life as an, as an atoning sacrifice for the sins. Abraham is like an illustration of God in this, this little parable. Abraham didn't lay down there himself. He had his only son. That would have taken an amazing act of, of love for another person. Like I said, I might be able to lay down my life for any of you, but I would not lay down the life of one of my children. It took a great love far beyond my own to be able to do that. If we see the, the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost as a single God unified in three people, it loses the significance for me. As a father, I could lay down my life for you. I couldn't do that. God could do that. God could do that. God sent his only son, Jesus, to be the savior of the world, to be the bridge that would allow us to come to God. Like I said, God didn't ask Abraham to crawl upon the altar and sacrifice himself. He asked him to place his son upon the altar, an act of sacrifice much deeper and much more painful than sacrificing himself. The idea of sacrificing his own son, that was much more painful, much more terrible. It matters who we believe what we believe about God, about His Son, about the Holy Spirit. We look at our last slide. Jen's been tinkering around with some logos and try some different things and that are going to look great. But whatever, I mean, she could draw a stick man standing on his head. I'd still be proud of it because it represents the North Hills Church of God of the Abrahamic faith. We love God our Father. We long for a relationship with Jesus Christ, His only Son, who is that bridge between God and man. And we trust in the power of God 
to accomplish that mission in our lives and in this, this wicked world that we, we find ourselves in. God provided the land through Jesus Christ. It does matter who God is, who the Son is, and how they accomplish the mission of God in the world through their power, the, the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to share from the Bible, to talk about who you are and who Jesus is, and who through the power of your Holy Spirit you can change this world and you can save us. Lord, help us to not be afraid or ashamed of what it is that we believe, but to embrace it, to love it, because it is the power of you living through us that changes this community, this world that we live in. Help us to love one another, to work together, to further your mission in this community as we look to worshiping you and continue to love you. In the name of Jesus, we give you thanks. Amen.